Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 47. We're almost 50. Oh, my gosh. Of Jen and Millie. Can we do a 50th birthday party? Absolutely. Let's and do it. I believe there should be cake. Okay. Yeah, I'm down. Um, White cake. White wedding cake is the ultimate. I mean, I don't like oh. to say vanilla because it's not really vanilla. I love the taste of vanilla. But I, I taste feel like white wedding cake isn't really vanilla it just feels like white wedding. Anyway, okay. I love it. Okay. It's my favorite dessert. Um, episode 47, close to 50, of Jen and Millie, where a Gen X or a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Hey. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I Welcome think- to Stressville. <laughs> Welcome to a bunch of people who are... Very sleep deprived and very stressed, but that's where we're at right now. We are less than a week out from conference, so we are recording this the Wednesday before conference is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. So I think we are both, yeah, in a place of oh my goodness, it's happening and chaos. Now it's just a little bit of all the details. I like to call it the and you didn't get my reference because you don't watch Friends, but I called it chaotic and twirly earlier, which is a Phoebe Buffet reference. <laughs> So I would call it the, I think you made reference to sandpaper. Uh-huh. We get sandpapery. Yep. I'm approaching rough sandpaper. Yes. Um, and I keep thinking when all this is said and done, uh, it'll be good. It'll yep. be good. There are a lot mm-hmm. of great things happening. I think you and I are super stoked about Mr. Geringer. Ger. Geringer. Geringer. Say it with me. Mike Geringer. Mike Geringer. Mm-hmm. Mike Geringer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mike. Because I say Geringer. Yeah, you do. Mike is, Geringer. Yes. Jer. Jer. It's in a jar, but jer. Like my friend Jeremy, who I used to call, used to call jer, but now yeah. I call Jay. Okay. Geringer. Jer. So, <laughs> we are both super stoked about yep. him being at our conference. <laughs> he is literally the Tom Osborne of... Mentoring research. Yep, he's he awesome. He is the. He hosts his own podcast called Reflections on Research, which is great. You get to hear from mentoring researchers. He's brilliant, and I've been reading his work for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And then Tess and I got to have a dialogue with him, yep. and we both, I thought, were very calm and seemed very professional. Oh yeah. But I was a little bit of a. I think the fangirl face is worn off for me. Like he's great, and I'm just like he's a human, right? And he just does really cool stuff. So I definitely, when I first met him, was like, oh my gosh, he's <laughs> my character. <laughs> I think um, I love being around brilliant people. Oh yeah, I just yeah love being around oh, thinkers. So fun. I love so thinking. Fun. Um, so love thinking. On that note, okay. welcome so, to Think Time. Welcome to Think Time. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we queued it up at the end of uh, episode 46 that we were going to do an episode on strengths in the Enneagram. And we want to key this up a little bit because we are generally the strengths-based perspective through which we view the world. So we are probably coming into this, coming into this definitely with a strengths-based perspective. Mm-hmm. But we have had questions about the Enneagram. What is it? How does it differ? Uh, as well as lots of people in our own lives, at least lots of people in my life that have asked about it, that love it, that, you know, so I, you know, we had talked for a while about doing kind of an episode on what is the Enneagram, um, but we do want to state for the record, we're strengths-based people. Um, and you'll find, and, and I've done um, quite a bit of work to learn about the Enneagram gone to um, a a day-long workshop with um, a a current contemporary Enneagram expert and as well as read 
think four books on it and listened to podcasts and have done a lot of my own research and just being it's a um I'll get into a little bit of like the perceived history of it, but there's a lot of like Christian uh, faith ties to the the framework of the Enneagram. And so, um, you know, I heard about it when I was at Creighton being part of the Ignatian spirituality realm, uh, kind of got typed there. So I've known about it for a while, but it just seemed to explode lately. So I think we wanted to a little bit of like engage in the dialogue, right? Like last episode was about the face app because that had exploded, right? right? And so I feel like the Enneagram is everywhere now and everybody's talking about it. And so, and I've had just a lot of people ask me, ask me like, how do you reconcile what the Enneagram says about personality and how does that you know, with a strengths-based perspective. And I think um, you tasking me to take this, Mm -hmm. which very rarely do you ask me to do something. Mm -hmm. And I think on the last podcast you said you've never told someone they need to do. I have never told, but I thought for the sake of Jenna Mm -hmm. Millie, I feel like we needed to know your type so we can engage in this dialogue more. So, um, and I will talk a little bit about that. Like I would never ask somebody to type themselves on the Enneagram because it's very, very different. I ask everybody what their top five are. Like everybody, if they never got up strengths, right? Right. Because that's just wonderful. It's like, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right, Right. yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like, are you blonde or brunette? You know, like the fun things about us, right? That we can very clearly see. The Enneagram is a lot more internal work and it's a lot more personal personal and very vulnerable and so it's never something that I would put on somebody else to do um, except you are my one rare exception where for the sake of this I thought it would be really helpful then only me speaking out of knowing my type and how that compares to my strengths my Enneagram number and how that compares to my strengths to be able to kind of compare and contrast yours as well and I'll talk a little bit about the way I asked you to do it versus the best practice for how one should do it based on what I've read. And I really appreciated that you did. Yeah. I may have pushed back a little bit, Yeah. but I very much appreciate that you you tasked me to do it because yeah. I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. In all honesty, I probably yeah. wouldn't have done it. I am a big-time strengths believer. Yeah. So I've kind of settled into yeah. um, this is the assessment for me and Definitely. one that I want to advocate and be around. So yeah. I kind of stepped back from other instruments and your knowledge and your um expertise but also your I've witnessed your learner just thriving around this so this is where this is a very different contrast even of our strengths like we can spot this right so your input might hear a little bit about it or even how you got me that magnet that kind of looked like Mm -hmm. the Enneagram thing like that's your input like knowing a little bit about it right gathering resources if you hear something you might send it along to me hey I heard this about the Enneagram so my learner if I get curious about something it gets mastery right yes so I have spent over a year studying this learning about it learning about people around me who have invested in it Um, and yeah finally I feel like I come to a place where I can somewhat explain the framework Um, so I think I'm going to start with giving a general overview of what it is how you understand it and then I've um, written out kind of a compare contrast list of the Enneagram versus strengths like how it differs Um, and so the fun part of this is that I'm learning brand new I'm brand new to this yep right along with probably a lot of our listeners so um, I'm a traveler with you I want to know would you prefer I write down my questions 
that I have for you? Or chime would you? In. Okay. Chime in. All yeah. Right. This is as if it's a conversation, right? Okay. Like I'm explaining this to you and you are kind of sitting in the role of anybody that might be listening to this episode right now. And any questions that pop into your head, like, okay, hey, wait, clarify that. Or, or let's just engage in a dialogue around it. I have prepared probably more than I have for any other <laughs> episode. I have actual notes and things that I wrote out in preparation because I also know that I am not an Enneagram expert. Um, I am a certified strengths coach. I know strengths a whole lot more and have definitely invested probably more than most people in my Enneagram knowledge, but I would not at all claim myself as an expert or to, to know this fully to really be able to teach it, but I'm going to try. So essentially the Enneagram is a nine point, a nine type personality structure that is really oriented around our core motivations as human beings. So essentially of this nine, this nine point structure, we each have one core type. So one that is our type that we claim that is essentially our personality, um, who we are. Uh, it is um, rumored to be rooted in like ancient Christian spirituality. So there's a lot of people who like try and, you know, throw it all the way back to like, I've heard people reference Aristotle and, you know, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola and like very, uh, which Ignatius of Loyola was a little more contemporary, but a lot of like ancient thinkers um, and ancient um, theologians uh, claiming that their nine views or their views on personality was actually a premeditation of the Enneagram. Uh, there is no true evidence for that. And so my context says you can't make up history or try and re- do reflective history that that re- redefines or puts a new narration on history. Right. So really, it really started coming around in the 60s and the 70s um, yeah. is really when it became big, when a lot of study of personality became big. Um, so it's around that same time and really started, has really started to explode. I would just say like in the last year, it seems to be everybody's talking about it, going to workshops on it. Um, and so... Um, so you have your core type, that is your number, and you can go about finding your number. There's Everybody teaches it a little bit differently. How do you discover what your number is? Um, I come from kind of a, a thought process, and a lot of the people I've read and that have taught have said that it is a process to finding your number, that there actually is not an assessment, a test, a quiz that will tell you your number. Now, you're going to say, one on earth because I just, you have me take a quiz to find my number. <laughs> um, there is this one quiz that I gave Allie to find her number for the sake of time because it's absolutely crazy right now. And I knew you didn't have the time nor I had the time to really invest in finding your number um, in the best practice, quote unquote, way. But also they, um, this recently came out, this assessment um, uh, called um, IEQ-9, and, um, and it has a couple of decades of research into identifying the motivation. So um, this, and it comes from Ian Cron, who is one of the um, big Enneagram leaders. And so, uh, um, so essentially he has published this, and it seems to have some sort of reputable, um, respected, um, and valid way of identifying your core type. Um, I wouldn't encourage people to do this as their first way of doing it, right? Like this is an easy like check off the box, but it's actually not the most authentic way they say of finding your type. The best way is to learn about all of them and find which one resonates with you. Um, so reading through all of them, getting to know all nine types, and then whichever one is the one you align with most based on your core motivation, right? And you only know your motivation. Something outside of you can't. Um, 
will help you to identify yours. Um, so that, and, and generally that's often done through meeting with someone that can help walk you through it. So they're often called typing sessions. So you'll meet with someone for a while. They'll get to know you. There are several Enneagram leaders like Suzanne Stabile is a big one, um, along with Ian, that will do finding your number or finding your type workshops. And they're like eight hours of essentially teaching on all nine types and then whichever one is the one that pulls at you that you have the most guttural reaction to that's your type Um, so there's you know a few different ways but essentially there's no one quiz assessment anything really that is valid enough to surely identify your type Um, so you have that core type um, which takes a lot of people a while to identify and I had gone through a typing session with someone when I was at Creighton um, during one of my um kind of spirituality groups that I was a part of we kind of all talked about it and somebody that knew it a lot more than me we went out for coffee and she kind of talked through all the types and um and uh it turns out when I got more into it that it was actually a mistype um so I was initially had a different type that I claimed and thought was mine that it turns out my motivation is slightly different And so uh, I have, and now that I've really dug into it, I know for sure that my type is my type. Um, But there are a lot of mistypings that happen uh, of people that think, even that have bias about what they want, who they want to be. Right, um, right. That might type themselves as something that they actually aren't. Okay, so I'm going to ask my first question. Yep. You would have typed me differently than what these results are. Uh... I think if we would have sat down in a session, like, and I would have gone through all of the steps in a typing session, I think we would have come to this conclusion of your type that this report came out with. I think on my initial reactions to your behavior, right? And so this is the core thing that the Enneagram is about your motivation, why you do things. So I see your behavior and I can interpret or tell myself a narrative about what your behavior is, but it, or what your motivation for that behavior is, but it might not be accurate, right? right? You and I can choose to do the exact same activity, but the reasons why we do that activity is going to be different because we have different core types. So that's, and the reason I asked that question is around the, is it better to do a type? You're saying it's better and more accurate to do a typing session but yet I feel like this got to probably the core of me yeah so that's the that's the thing is there's a billion different Enneagram tests out there this one is very new and it seems to be when I read a little bit about the development of this specific assessment I had you take Mm -hmm. seems to have a a fair amount of validity to it that I trusted enough to give it to you for the the means of the ends of recording this Okay. Episode, right? Okay. Um, and so, yes, but traditionally the most respected and valid and authentic way that almost most Enneagram teachers that I have, have listened to or read from say that it's a typing session or simply doing some in-depth study of all of the types to then find where you align most naturally. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you have your center type. And then within each type, so the the nine points kind of revolve around this spoke. And there are all these lines connecting the different numbers to each other. Trying to describe this in an audio way is not the best, but I might give a screenshot in our our post. You can look at that if you want to. Um, But essentially, each type has two lines, one line that moves away from it and one line that moves towards it. And those are called a few different things. Um, So uh, the Enneagram teacher that I learned from called them lines of integration and disintegration. Um, but I think the easiest way to explain them as your line are as your lines of stress and security. 
So when you are in a place of stress, um, a negative place, uh, um, almost to use strengths language, right? You drop into the basement. Mm -hmm. You you naturally take on characteristics from a different number. Usually the average or unhealthy characteristics of another number. And then the opposite is true when you're in security. So security or integration, kind of that that move towards would be a, a place where you, you're not worried about things as much. You don't have as much fear, maybe as much anger or stress. Um, you take on the average or healthy lines of characteristics of the line that you move towards in stress, right? Okay, so an example of mine. So my core type is an eight. Um, so most naturally I am, you know, the... Um, there's lots of different terms for them, even each of the types, but the eight is kind of the challenger, sometimes can be called the controller, um, uh, kind of the justice seeker. So lots of different words for that. And in my um, uh, integration, so when I am in a place of security, life is going five, I actually move to a two, which is your core type. So I take on the characteristics of you um consider uh, helpers too is yep so i take on yep yep i take on your characteristics when i am in a place from my type <laughs> okay i'm already confused all right let's do a timeout okay so my mine is two not one yours is two you're two yep yep i'm I'll, a two I'll not explain. a one you're two i thought i was a one <laughs> okay i thought i was a strict perfectionist uh-uh isn't no. that what we talked about? No, we talked about that's your wing. So we'll get there. Hold up, hold up. See, this is one oh, of the. Well, this crap! Is, I've been thinking so, the whole time. Okay, so you're. T- of two. course, I'm a considerate a helper. Yes, you're two. You're two. Um, yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. Does that make you feel just better about your life? That yes. was a little nicer than that. Do you know why? Yep. Because that's one of the few that has positive language. Yeah. Yep. So you're a two. So if you dig into this report that you have, it's all about the two. So you are a considerate helper, um, which is, that's to use this, any, this one's, um, this specific framework from the IEQ 9, but essentially the helper is kind of what the two is called, right? So, um, <laughs> and you take on, we'll get to that in a sec. Okay, so this is what, what I love, this is a great example of one of my, my pros and cons of strengths is that Enneagram is very technical, specific language that's really hard to apply. And it's a little bit complex. So, okay. So essentially you have your core type, which is you a two and I'm an eight. And when we're in a good place, naturally, we're going to take on the characteristics of another number a little bit. So we're going to take on, we're, we're still our core type, we're always our core type, but then you take on the average to positive aspects of whatever number you move to on the wheel when you're in a good and healthy place. So for me, I move to a two when I'm in health. So when I don't have a lot of stress, when I have ample sleep, when I'm in a good mood, I naturally become more of a helper. So my challenger, my need to be against, which is my core type, Mm -hmm. my need to fight everything and Mm -hmm. be the devil's advocate, is going to take on the characteristics of using that in a really positive way to correct the injustices of the people I see around me. Got it. Okay, when I'm under stress, I move to a type five, which is called the investigator or the observer, which means I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to become closed off emotionally. 
Uh, I'm going to become very logical and rational to the point of not really caring about other people's feelings um, and being very critical. Um, so that would be under stress. I'm going to go to an average or an unhealthy form of that number. I'm going to take on those characteristics. Okay. I never really okay. move there. I just kind of adopt the characteristics of each of those types when I'm either in a good place or a bad, bad place, respectively. Okay. You're always still your core number, and that's how you find those lines of stress and security or integration, disintegration. Now, the, um, the type one that you're talking about, so each type has on the wheel, it sits, it has a type on either side of it. So the two would have the one and the three on either side of it, right? It goes in numerical order. Okay. Then the eight has the seven and the nine on either side of it. And so each type is a very different personality. So, um, and this is where some Enneagram teachers differ a little bit, but essentially there's this concept of a wing. So you take on, based on your unique form of your core, of your two, my unique form of my eight, I'm going to take on probably a little bit of a personality from one of those two sides. Okay. Some teachers will say you can take on from both. Some people will say over your lifetime you'll shift back and forth to which one you lean on. And some people say, nope, you just have one wing. And that's your one wing. So I am an eight wing seven. So a seven... As opposed to a nine, a nine is a little more um, laid back. Uh, it's called the peacemaker, generally, is the term used for the nine. They're a little bit of seeing all sides of a situation, being a little more appeasing, um, which definitely I feel like I could sometimes take on some of those characteristics. Mm -hmm. But they're pretty mellow, um, and they pretty much can be very agreeable can get along with most people. So usually an eight that's kind of this need to be against with a nine wing might seem a lot more subdued and mellow than someone who's like very strictly an eight, right? I am have a little bit of a seven wing and a seven wing is usually called the enthusiast, which is a little bit of an excitement for life, a right. passion for um, going out and doing fun things. And so like an example is, you know, booking a trip to where I don't know where I'm going, right? right? So right. that's definitely someone with a, a seven wing might do that, right? Or someone that is a seven might do that, right? So there's, um, to summarize, you have your core value, you move to take on some characteristics of one number in stress, another number in security, but then you also can take on a little bit of the characteristics of those on either side of you. So when we were talking, I think you probably have a one wing as opposed to a three wing, and the one wing with a two looks a lot like a perfectionist. So a lot, an achiever is another term that's actually used for a number mm -hmm. one. Um, the one type, which is a lot of getting things right, um, accomplishing a lot. Um, they're usually very successful people, but also, a little bit perfectionist people so have to like make sure everything looks good and everything is done well yes um so yeah okay do, do those make sense does yes make sense? I, this it's is a, a gr great um, realization <laughs> that i'm a two because i thought i was a one um so that's a, yeah, a good piece that's a good okay point. however so it's really up it's self reflection that determines what your wing is your dominant wing so there, there's a lot of writing about the characteristics of wings together, right? So you can really, just like in identifying your core type, if you dig into a lot of the literature around the Enneagram, you usually can be able to identify which wing you have. I would also say, like, I always thought I was a nine wing because I am usually kind of go with the flow. And I always think I wanted to claim that because kind of like strengths, there's a lot of archetypes of these 
of each of these numbers and so I have quite a few seven friends and so I have in my mind what a seven looks like and I'm like I'm not a let's go out and party but then people are like oh my gosh Tess you like booked a trip you didn't know where you were going to and you you know and then they gave examples so I think that's the cool part of at least for me a lot of my friends have this common language just like strengths which they do too but my friends have seemed to grasp onto this a whole lot more um that they're able to then identify some of those characteristics within me so wings are more like theme blends in a lot of ways in strengths language it would be more like which you feel like is a, a a blending so it would be almost as if like your number one strength was your core strength but then you if we have the same core strength right it's going to look a little different because we have four other strengths around it right okay yep and so that actually leads me into um kind of the third thing to understand about your core type in the enneagram when you're typing is that there is what's called a sub or instinctual type so there's, this is sorry to explain, I've never had to explain this before. So it's your core type and you move somewhere when life is good and somewhere where life is bad or you take on those characteristics. You usually take on a little bit of characteristics from the numbers on either side of your number. But then there's also essentially three unique manifestations of each number. So it's almost then like if you go into the core number, right, instead of to the side or going out to stress and security, within each number, there's three variances of what that number can look like within people. Okay. So um, so essentially a lot of Enneagram people say there aren't nine types, there are 27 types because each of the types has three different variations of it, which are the social, the one-to-one, or the self-preservation. And those are found here. And um, the okay. one-to-one is also called this the sexual manifestation is a term, but it's more like an intensity. And so how I would kind of compare and contrast those, which this is probably the part I know a little bit the least about, um, but the social is very much an extroversion, a, an interaction with lots of people, um, almost that, that kind of unique manifestation of that type. Okay. A one-to-one would be more a kind of one-to-one. It works really well with small groups, with individual relationships. And then a self-preservation is more of a natural tendency to be isolated and to only care about self. Um, and or not only concentrate on self, only maybe be motivated motivated by the Safety. self. Safety. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So that might be what a little bit of those differences. So everybody has their core type, but then there is, you also have a subtype that you identify with. Okay. So... On my on these results, <laughs> this is not in order. That's not in order. No, okay, that's no. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm tremendously visual. Yeah, you are. And so when you saw the one on top, yes, you I didn't even look at the rest of the, the numbers. One. Okay. And then I'm seeing this, and I'm thinking self-preservation's on top. When actually I have nope. to look further You're, to see. Yep. So social. you are social. Yep. So, okay, that makes sense. Yep. So which is you know a lot of uh, large groups of people connecting well with people, especially as a two, like identifying the needs of groups of people really easily, mm-hmm. um, because the two a lot is about seeing the needs and trying to fill those gaps mm-hmm. within people, um, and so um, that is your manifestation. So my um, uh, specific type as an eight, my subtype is a one-to-one, which also makes probably a lot of sense. So my subtype is a lot about doing well with really small groups of people, being less comfortable with large groups of people. Um, And I'm trying to think um, if I have any notes here to share kind of about my subtype. So um, kind of an intensity, um, uh, a lot about quality over quantity, Okay. Um, seeking one-on-one connections. So 
um, we each kind of have a different manifestation. So that's, I think, kind of the cool thing is because not only is it about motivations, um, which are hard to identify, but, you know, externally looking, but you could see a couple people who might have the same core type, but they look like, they seem like very different people, right? right? And I think that's the same thing with strengths, right? Like you could have similar strengths within people, like you can share four out of five with somebody, but you, you're you a very different person from right. each other because of the way that they blend together or the right. way your life experiences have an effect on that, and- the way your values have an effect on that. So that's a cool thing, like you and my best friend are both a two, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but you are very different people. I go to you for very different things, but you both are able to fundamentally identify what needs I might have in any given situation and try and meet those, albeit probably in a little bit of a different way. Okay. Okay. So that's like a way like complex understanding of the structure. Um, Some of the other things that people focus on a lot is that within each um, and, and why I think a lot of like maybe religious groups have latched onto this is essentially each type has a um, kind of a, a virtue that's attached to it. So when it's in the best of all worlds, what does that type give to people? Um, and then a type or uh, and then kind of a, um, a vice of each. So something where maybe is your unhealthiest sin pattern, right? Or something you get stuck in a lot that okay. is unhealthy. Okay. Uh, and so... Um, that makes all yeah. kinds of sense. Yes, right. So within each type, it makes a whole, yes, a whole lot of sense. And then everyone has a basic fear and a basic desire. So there are all these things that are really like core. There's all these philosophies about every single type has this massive childhood wound or uninterpreted childhood wound mm-hmm. um, that that they perceived growing up and that has a lot of effect on their type. So there's like a lot more, like that was as much as a flyover as I think I could possibly give to it. I probably went into more detail than I needed to, but that's a lot of what I have come to learn about it. Um, within each type too, there's like a, there's a bunch of, what they call triads. So essentially there's actually like a lot of math involved in the Enneagram and how they, in terms of how they are grouped together. So there are um, groups of, um, there's lots of different ones, but probably the one that's the most popular that people might've heard of is like the head, heart and gut triad. So essentially three of the types, um, the uh, two, three and four, I believe are the heart triad. And um, yeah, two, three, and four are the heart triad, and essentially they sit most naturally in their hearts, right? They're mm-hmm. more emotionally people, emotional people. They're much more relational people. They're very connected. Um, uh, five, six, and sevens are head people, mm-hmm. and each of these correlate kind of to their basic kind of vice. So um, heart people deal a lot with pride. So you think about a considerate helper who might want to feel needed all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So natural tendency might be to feel prideful. Uh, the head people, so the five, six, and sevens that reside most naturally in their thinking center, uh, their um, most kind of basic fault line is fear. So they, they struggle a lot with fear. Um, and then the eights, nines, and ones all sit in the gut so they're Mm -hmm. action-oriented people and so our basic kind of emotion our default is uh, actually anger which is really funny and makes a lot of sense because a lot of people know I deal with road rage sometimes right Um, and I'm very impatient Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how they're grouped together and to see those connections Um, and then as you know so um, you and I are connected because I go to a two when I'm in uh, security uh, when I'm in a good place and you actually come to an eight when you're in a bad place. 
um, when yes. you're not doing so well. Yes. You come to an eight, right? Yes. To this control. Yes. Control. Um, the need to, uh, to this kind of anger inside. So I think yes. of the example of like punching a wall. You mimic that all the time when you're yes. under stress. You're like, I just got to punch a wall, mm-hmm. which is a very visceral reaction Correct. out of anger, right? Which is where I naturally sit. And so you and I as a two and an eight are also connected to the five. So we form a triad um, as well. And um, so everyone's kind of linked in different ways. Um, every okay. number is linked kind of in different ways but just as so it's just I think super complex so um anyway I do want to migrate us because there's still I feel like a lot more involved with an overarching understanding of the Enneagram but I want to loop us um I don't think I'm going to cover that <laughs> okay because I'm curious about okay that. okay so um you'd asked okay so Allie asked in her report about the centers of expression which I think are a lot of those triads that I talked about they're the the feeling the thinking and the action center right which is your heart your head or your gut right and so each type has a place where they sit on that wheel so you naturally sit in the feeling center so you're most connected to your feelings right you're most naturally in touch with your feelings I sit in the action center, so I'm most naturally connected to actions or to my body. So when you think a lot about like me running or exercising, mm-hmm. like I like most people feel good after it, but I feel like like my whole day can be turned around if I mm-hmm. get up and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so you each have each type has its natural one of those that connects to the head, the heart, or the gut, but then it also has one that it connects to the least. Um, so the part that needs to be tapped into the most to bring a further sense of wholeness, right? So I saw action center as decision-making. Sure, absolutely. And so yep. when I saw high feeling, yes. Yep. Um, thinking, yep. yes. But then decision-making mm-hmm. is difficult for difficult. me. Difficult, But also I know that movement is what heals me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very intellectual with my decision-making. I get stuck sometimes my trap is emotion feeling mm-hmm. but yeah. then movement heals heals me. you which is where you're you're most disconnected right yes. so tapping into the disconnected center helps to bring more wholeness to you right and so for me I am most connected to my action so I'm really good at making decisions like let's go right, right? um <laughs> I am somewhat connected to my thinking center yes so especially with a seven wing because the seven is in the thinking center but I'm least connected to my feeling center so I'm least in touch with my emotions um and emotions are what heals me so when I pause to think about what I'm feeling when right. I carve out an evening to let one of my friends sit and listen and help me verbally process and therefore emotionally process what I'm feeling, like that brings healing to me and to my relationships. Right. Um, but it's not where I'm most in touch, right? I literally, for the longest time when I was really trying to work on this, um, when I was like seeing a counselor a while ago, just dealing with like some childhood wounds, um, she gave me a feeling wheel because she's like, you can't even identify or put words to what you're feeling. So here is a wheel, like which is very, I mean, well-known kind of in psychology, but I had to pull it out. I had it on my, I tacked up on my fridge forever just to say, because if I were to, you were to ask me at any given moment, I would just say, oh yeah, I'm kind of angry or frustrated. And those are the only two things I could ever be in touch with because that's my default, right? My default is anger as an ape. So, Um, So the connecting and reaching out to the either whichever center or head, heart, or gut, whichever one you're least connected to as your type, um, 
that actually brings kind of wholeness to healing. Yeah. and healing to mm-hmm. the self. So that's okay. a good one. I like that triad and people talk about that a lot, I think, out of out of any of the triads within the Enneagram. Okay. So I do want to bring us, because you and I are both very strengths-based, so I wanted to do a little bit of compare-contrast um, with strengths in the Enneagram. So um, I would say, um, so I have a little bit of a list that I um, wrote out, and I think I want to start with the fact that strengths is a statistically valid measurement of people, right? And the Enneagram's not. It really isn't. As much as it's been helpful for me, as much as it's interesting to talk about, it's not statistically valid. It's not been measured. It's not been proven the way that strengths has. Like you can read the 100-page meta-analysis of strengths and personality right. to right. see its validity. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to the second point I want to talk about, which is the difference of the theory of each of these. Right? So at... So how each was constructed, right? We know that strengths, and we've talked about this with a lot of people, came from um, Don Clifton going and observing and interviewing people. So it is an inductive approach, what we would call an inductive approach to research. So Mm -hmm. it's starting with your data first. So gathering as much information as you can about people, about their behavior, about what they do, about the decisions they make, like as much information as possible. And then the themes were drawn out based on the patterns within human behavior. So it started with the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enneagram, as much as it's been interesting, I wouldn't necessarily say I love it. Um, you know, it seems a bit extreme for being a strengths coach, but it's been very interesting to dive into. But it is a deductive research approach, which is very different than an inductive approach. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot like Myers-Briggs, like colors, right. like a lot of the other common personality types, like DISC, where essentially it starts with a theory, a construct of what people are like, and then retroactively tries to fit people into yep. these preconceived categories, which is hard, um, which is I think is, is a very hard way and, and why I find strength so refreshing because it started with people and research first. Right. So um, there, there, there are some like, I guess, positive benefits too to the difference between these. Um, strengths is a lot about your behavior. It's about what you do. Um, so you can strength spot somebody easily, right? Fairly easily, right? You do that. You come in and you smile. I can spot your positivity, right? Mm-hmm. I can't necessarily spot your type. You and I might both walk into the office because we're smiling. You might do it because you helped an old lady across the street. I might do it because I rode into my congresswoman this morning, right? So like we have very different motivations for why we might be smiling, but our output, our behavior might be the same, right? And so such a good right? example. <laughs> so to contrast, the Enneagram is about your motivation. It's about your why. Why do you do things, right? Which, held in tandem, could be very beneficial together, right? right? To be able to understand both. But my kind of next point is that the Enneagram is very, very personal. It digs into a lot of very vulnerable and actually kind of nasty things about who we are as human beings. So when I talked at the beginning about never wanting to label or type somebody or never asking them to do that, like although I might be curious and it might be helpful in relationship to know someone's motivation, I never want to put that on somebody because it's a judgmental approach really in the end. Um, So, you know, if I think about, you know, something like the core wounds um, or the childhood wounds of a type, for example, right? So like my childhood wound, um, 
Uh, I mean, the need to be against, there's a self-survival instinct. Um, I'm trying to think where the, um, let me see. There is, I thought it was in this book, sorry. I thought I was gonna have it prepared, but okay. So the childhood wound is an acceleration of maturity as a result of a conflict or harsh environment where they felt the need to be strong in order to survive. And I think about what I learned a lot from my mom, who is awesome and, and she is so great now, but growing up was pretty critical, very harsh. Um, and so therefore I needed to survive in an environment where I didn't feel emotionally nurtured, right? And so I have this childhood wound, right? So I'm not gonna go up to somebody and say, were you neglected as a child, right? Because you right. might be an age, right? right? Or did you need to have self-survival instincts because you were grew up in a cold environment, uh-huh. <laughs> right? So it's very personal and- um, The questions know, are deeply personal. The questions are deeply personal if you were to take the assessment or yes. if you were to walk through a typing session with somebody, right? They're gonna ask some of these things and to get to your true core number you have to be honest about those things right which there's like a level of of you have to come to it with vulnerability or else it will not make sense and it will not be beneficial and will be a tool you have to come to it with authenticity as well yeah so absolutely not just vulnerability but some self-awareness yes because I think if I would have taken this 10 years ago yeah I wouldn't be at a place where I could even own. Yeah. So the last statement, I think the last statement question that's on the on the assessment says, I have answered these honestly. And you can say, I think, what are the options? Very true, absolutely true, somewhat true. I yeah. don't remember how it goes. But I thought, well, who wouldn't? Well, what's <laughs> the point of that? A lot of people who wouldn't probably. But when, in some of the statements, were kind of hard to answer. Yeah. And I had to step back and say, okay, you're going to have to be totally honest here. And I think it's interesting that that was the last question on that one. And again, it might not be the best path for everybody if you're going to learn your type. But because there are some types that have self-delusion involved in them or an, a lack of awareness of the self. So people talk about the nine being the peacemaker adopts the personality of anybody they're around. So a nine is the hardest for them to to identify in themselves and so therefore something like that is a question at the end a nine is not going to know if they answered them truthfully they're probably going to be lower so that might be an indication of that specific type coming out right I remember being like because I did take this for curiosity's sake I knew my type at this point but I was like I wonder if it'll type me right um and so I was like absolutely right because I'm just like yep I get it I know it um but someone who might not or who might be in a, you know, and the three is kind of like that. The three um, is a little bit of, it's called the performer is the term that I hear most associated with it. So you're really good at figuring out who you need to be in any given situation mm-hmm. or what you need to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be a little bit of a self-deception as well. So mm-hmm. there, it's probably getting at some of that, but yeah. I think you can be that and know it. Yeah. Yep. And you can be that and totally be unaware as well. Right. But those could look very similar, the three and the nine. But again, it comes from a different motivation. The motivation of the three, a lot, a lot of threes are concerned about status, about um, the connections they need to make in order to advance, right? About their perception, how other people view them. Um, Whereas the nine is about, I need to be whoever, I need to be in this context for the sake of retaining peace and harmony. And so they come from different motivations, but can look different on the outside. Mm-hmm. So, but that's what why I, I find this 
somewhat hard to apply in a large scale and why I would never recommend it for like an organization or, um, you know, massive like groups of people, you know, systemic implementation like you would do with strengths and why strengths is so beneficial in that way because it is so personal, right? Like this is valid for like a counselor maybe yes, to work with. if you're working with a therapist. If you're working with a therapist, yes. right? If you're working with a counselor or if you're working with close friends who know you, yes. who you're honest with and who also are interested in this framework, right? But it's never something I would ask somebody to ask, ask to do it, somebody to do it um, w- unless we're in the context of, um, of something where it would be really beneficial to them. Um, so one of the other things I want to talk about a little bit and you alluded to is that strengths, you can start out anywhere and start with strengths, right? Right. To do the Enneagram, you have to start at deep work. Like it requires you to start there. So you have to have a level of self-awareness already in place. And that's why I think it can somewhat be beneficial to use these hand in hand in a very exclusive Deep level. Right, at a deep level. Like if you're working with a counselor, if you're having, you know, marital issues, if you're having relational issues, if you are just like, gosh, I love personal development like me and I want to go even deeper. But I'm working with a coach. But I'm working with, you know, and, you know, they don't really have any, I don't know if they have, I think they have Enneagram coaches, but at the same time there are tons of resources out there that, you know, I don't know. So that's a whole different thing, but. But I mean, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted to do this without your assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm still completely confused. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's our next point. Enneagram is all technical language. It's like very, as much as we joke about like the technical language from Gallup of balconies and basements and raw versus mature, like they're simple concepts to grasp. Yes. The Enneagram is very, very complex and you do need really someone to teach it to you or you need to really invest in it, right? Like I have been studying it for over a year and still feel a little inadequate to be doing this episode right now. Because I still don't feel like I can fully explain subtypes or fully understand. I can't, if you pick any number, I couldn't tell you where it goes without looking at the diagram of integration and disintegration, right? Like I know my type, I know my friend's types, you know. Um, but yeah, so I think that's hard is um, it's very technical language and strengths is common language. Um, it's it's very easy to understand strengths, although you can go deeper into any theme, um, but it's still a bit um, easier to grasp. I would say though, because I'm an eight and want to play the devil's advocate, that there's also a benefit to having, or, or a con to strengths being super common language. We know that sometimes there are misperceptions of strengths mm-hmm. based on the fact that they are common language. Right. Understanding and trying to explain what the strategic themes look like the strategic theme looks like versus someone who might think critically but not have strategic in their top five. Right. Like that's sometimes hard because strategic is a buzzword. Positivity is like that too, right? You know, there's misperceptions based on the fact that all the themes are fairly common language. And I do think sometimes the common language makes it unfortunately easier to put people in boxes and labels. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. It's not theoretically is reductive but because of the common language it can be reductive whereas I feel like the Enneagram is kind of just a reductive mechanism um you know in a lot of a lot of the fundamental ways until you dive into subtypes and wings and integration and disintegration so um I think that there you know overall I you know and I've done this because lots of people have asked me about these two I think that strengths 
is the only thing you ever need for personal development because you can keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper into your themes. Um, I don't think there's any reason you need necessarily anything supplementary. Um, as I mentioned before, strengths can be complementary to your Enneagram type. So it's been interesting to learn about how my strengths play out based on my number, right? It looks different. Um, there are definitely themes that automatically contribute to my eightness. Um, and there are themes that take my sevenness on as my wing. Um, but it's interesting because if you were to look at my strengths, um, you probably would have mistyped me as my original mistype, which I claimed for a while as the five, which is the observer, um, the investigator also called. Um, but when I dug into it, it wasn't truly my core motivation that I could claim. So I went through the retyping process and um, have fully claimed the eight. But uh, um, but you could look at strengths and try and type somebody. But I think the hard part about that is that they really are trying to get at two different things in the end. And I think that's what I keep coming back to. Like the Enneagram is about your motivations internally. Um, and your strengths a lot is about your talent behavior. So reoccurring. Um, behaviors, your talents that become talent themes that you invest in to equal strengths. Um, so I think that that's, I guess, a way to compare and contrast. Like I said, they can be used in tandem. They can be very complementary, but they also can get in the way a lot um, in terms of how they conflict with one another. So um, I will point out some of the things maybe in which your strengths and your Enneagram type complement each other. Um, so you as a type two, Allie, um, the helper. Do you want to um, read the full nine? Hey, and why nine? Why nine? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's really like know. someone asking us why 34, and why I don't 34? know that I can answer yeah, that question right? either. And so um, just what it came out to be, right? So, um, so yeah, so the full nine. So I'm not going to use these names because okay. I don't know that these are the ones that I claim, the ones from this report. So I'll probably okay. use the ones from um, this book, actually. Should we pause? Should we pause? Let's pause. Let's pause. Because you want to keep going? Yeah, we're going to keep going. So okay. let's do a pause. Okay. All righty. So pause we've, this, a second, was a, we'll this was a intro, and now you're going to talk about what they mean. The, like what they mean? Sure. Go and into I each feel, of them. And, and I feel like you can use you or me or whoever you want, but if you give real-life examples yep. to someone that they know, yep. they will be able to resonate with it. Okay. So as I'm reading this now, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, yes. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. And over-focusing on others leads you to not be consistently tuned into your own needs. Okay, we're going to get into that. All right, hold up. Okay, right. so we're going to pause. Am I going to wrap up this episode, and then we're going to do a second episode? Don't you think? Okay, okay. I think that's good. All right. Do you think? So I am... Yeah, we're still recording. Oh. <laughs> so I am... I love this. <laughs> I'm like, you just go to open the door, and I'm going to stop you. So because we're summing up the episode, I'm going to do our conclusion. Um, but thank you, everyone, for tuning into episode 47 of Jenna Millie. I love this. You can tell we try to prepare, but it doesn't always work. Um, if you joined, enjoyed today's episode, feel free to share it. We're not going to really have any takeaways because, we, again, don't want to put this on anybody to do. I think it just came from some questions. We're always open to covering whatever topics people want to hear about. And this was one that had been asked of us um, and one that I happen 
and to know a little bit more about enough to feel like I can share it. So um, if you do have any reactions or thoughts based on this episode, feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear more from you. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. And then part look forward to the next episode. Closing. Yes, part the, ep- one. <laughs> the next episode is right now. Yes. Okay, yes. so those of you who want to hang with us, like just dial into the next one. Yeah. So I don't want them to think that cut and cut. there's nothing. There's nothing. It's but coming. we're going to cut. It's coming. It'll be there. But we do want to divide it because we already are approaching an hour. So I'm going to stop recording now, but we'll talk to you all soon. <laughs>